Grace at Last podcast. Here we hope you find freedom from religion and traditions passed down by man that God never intended for us to struggle with. Let's quit looking around us and begin to look within at God in us and realize all we need is already there. Together, guided by the Holy Spirit, let's learn what God really thinks of us and discover what is pleasing to Him. I think we're going to find out it's a whole lot easier than what we thought. Hi, Corrine here, and welcome to episode 36 of our Grace at Last podcast. In our last episode, episode 35, we talked about the reality of how much we should live to the fullest simply who God made us to be. We primarily looked at the context of the verse in John 3.30 when John the Baptist said, He must decrease and that Jesus must increase. He was talking about the law that he preached and the grace that Jesus would bring. Well, it must increase. And today I want to talk once again about works and if they're necessary for the Christian to prove that they are really saved. How much is really required of us? Are works a part of what make us right with God? Does God expect every person to lead people to Jesus? And are we required to be in ministry, exercising our spiritual gifts? Some people brag about how many people they lead to Jesus as if it's notches on a belt. But is that really what impresses God? Is it up to us? Or is there something else going on here that God wants us to understand? I come from a background of really emphasizing spiritual gifts. When I was a new Christian, I had never heard the things in the Bible before, and I wanted to understand what it was saying. And everything was new. Everything was a new concept, a new way to think. It wasn't after the things of this world or the things of the flesh, but it was the things of the Spirit. And in about 2010, I discovered spiritual gifts. First of all, let me just say that I have no regret when it comes to understanding spiritual gifts. I cannot explain how much order and clarity came in so many ways because of understanding spiritual gifts. Again, I have no regrets and the joy and the fun that came with the revelation that we all received when we got a hold of spiritual gifts. Well, they're some of the best memories that I have. There's a few of us that have been together for a lot of years, 20 plus years, and we've been walking this journey out and we've been learning and growing We've been changing, renewing our mind, being transformed, and it's been exciting. And spiritual gifts has been a big part of that. We have a ministry in Sacramento in Northern California, last ministry. We all have a part. We all get to exercise our gifts in a unique way, the way that God created us and the gifts and the talents that he's placed in each one of us. I've never really been a part of building anything that mattered. And when I got a hold of spiritual gifts and I saw what I got to be a part of, wow, that got exciting for me. It was like I was blind, but now I could see. And I had dreams and goals. And I discovered that some of us had gifts of administration and helps and prophecy, which is encouragement and consolation. I love to teach and certain things came natural for certain people. We had a blast learning what our gifts are and being free from the feeling of less than when we saw others doing things with ease that we wish we could do really well ourselves. Well, we began to appreciate each other and not compare ourselves to one another. 
And we learned early on that God does it that way because there is no Lone Ranger Christianity. We're meant to do life together. We need each other. And we're each a member of the body of Christ. And when we understood gifts, Last Ministry became a nonprofit, and we are still running that nonprofit today. We still operate and enjoy what was built in 2011 when we discovered that we could do things together that we could never do alone. And several that were in that original class, again, still gather together today. We are sisters, and some of us are lifelong friends. And I want to reiterate, I don't regret understanding spiritual gifts and the gift that these gifts are to the body. It's a privilege and it's an honor to put our hands to things that lift up Jesus and all his glory. And it's an invitation and God has equipped us and we are the church. It is not a location that we meet at on certain days of the week to serve or to listen. Some of the scriptures that really confuse me came from the book of James because he's so insistent that we have to have works with our faith or we're not really saved. After all, even the demons believe, right? And the only reason I bring this up is because recently I had someone almost irate at the thought that we were not required to have works with our faith. She's a nonprofit and she thinks everybody should be in ministry working for God. She even threatened some of my born-again friends that they would be cast into outer darkness if they hid their talent that Jesus had given them and they did not preach the gospel. She believes that we're all required to work for God, fiercely spreading the gospel to rescue people that are going to hell. And I understand this. I was taught the same thing, and I actually taught it to others. I don't see God like that anymore. Most of what was told to me to argue the point, again, was from the book of James and it's based on fear. And in the book of James, he repeatedly says that our faith, if it doesn't have works, well, it's useless. I think it's important to say that most believe the book of James to be the first New Testament letter written. He didn't have the Apostle Paul's letters like we do. They hadn't been written yet. And James, he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, and very steeped in the law of Moses which was a work-based and behavior mentality. The people in the Old Covenant, they didn't have the Spirit of God living in them to lead them on their journey, not like we have today. And James wrote his letter almost 50 years after Jesus resurrected, but he still had a lot of law in him. In James 2, verse 14, this is what James says. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? James 2, 14. To me, this is very telling because James is talking about salvation. He is not talking about any other subject but salvation. And he clarifies that when he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? So again, he's talking about salvation. Interesting, the next thing he lists is doing nice things for others. It's as if he's listing the kind of works that's going to save a person. Listen to this in verse 15. James says, If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give to them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And that's James 2, verse 15 through 17. Again, 
He's talking about salvation, and then he's talking about helping other people. Clearly, the implications here are that if we're not doing nice things for other people, our faith, well, it's useless. And it's not going to be enough to get us into heaven. I know we can get really deep into the definitions for the Greek and go way deeper into the theology of all this, but let's just look at it for what it is. Let's just look at what James is saying. I'm talking about the message that is being conveyed to the church. It tripped me up for a long time. I wrote a study on it, and in trying to bring that in line with Paul's letters were difficult for me sometimes. I talked to Susan Adams the other day, and she said it was the first book she memorized. That can be a lot of believing that can be false, that needs to be undone, because so much of it is rooted in fear, at least the way that I'm understanding this message. Verse 18, James says, But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, James is saying our faith is expressed through our works. He says without our works that you can't see faith. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Verse 19 of James 2. So the demons are fully aware that Jesus is God. He says that you believe God is one, you do well. The demons believe that. They were defeated at the cross and resurrection. The demons know who Jesus is. However, they're not born of the Spirit. They're not redeemed. This is such a fear-based teaching that says that really believing doesn't do hardly anything for you. It only puts you in the same category with the demons. What good is that? Verse 20, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So James has used examples like helping cold, hungry people. And if we do these things, well, then our faith has value. And if we don't do these things, then it's useless. And then James is going to give some examples, and he's going to use Abraham and Rahab to do it. Verse 21 of James chapter 2 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, Faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Well, there's a whole lot we can say about that. He talks about Abraham being justified by works when he offered up Isaac, but that's not what really happened. Abraham was justified when he believed, not when he offered up Isaac. But I think it's clear what James is saying here. He says we better be doing stuff for people or we're deceived and lost with no hope of heaven. I don't need to translate this for anyone. The message is obvious. One explanation that I've heard is that we respond by faith like Abraham did, offering up Isaac and Rahab opening the door. Well, it's like opening the door of our heart and giving our lives as an offering to Jesus. And I believe those things. It's all true. Definitely, there's a response that is required. Otherwise, it would be universal salvation. And scripture certainly does not support that. 
but the context does not seem to support this view of it being our devotion to God. Because again, the works that James uses is doing nice things for other people. It's a works mentality. How much good are you doing in the world? And what James is saying, Martin Luther had a problem with it to the point that he thought that that book shouldn't even be included in the New Testament. Why? Because it went against the Apostle Paul's letters and it would cause confusion. Definitely difficult and easy to understand why Luther would think that. Are we justified by faith plus good works? Or is it faith alone? If it were really dependent upon works, how would we ever really know how many good works is enough? Who decides? We know we can't keep the whole law. Do we get to pick? (laughs) Do the leaders of the 501c3 that we attend get to pick for me? How can I be sure? And what does Paul have to say about this? Well, in Romans 3.27, Paul says, Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Romans 4.2, If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And in Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Listen to this. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. That's Galatians 2.16. Galatians 3.10, Paul goes on to say, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That's Galatians 3.10. All those under the law, Paul says, are under a curse. Because we have to do it all and we can't. Ephesians 2.9. It's not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 2 Timothy 1.9. Paul says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So that's what Paul says about works justifying us. Is it works plus faith or is it faith alone? And I do realize that there's good works that comes with our salvation, but it doesn't start with good works. And good works aren't the focus. I think good works are a byproduct of our faith. And I don't think we can judge ours or another salvation depending on how many nice things we do for people. And to me, that is the message that James is clearly implying in this part of his letter. Why the law then? I guess we could say there's several answers to that question. The law was given to Israel to show them their unrighteousness and hopefully turn to God for his righteousness. Israel thought they could be right with God by obeying the law, but the law could never help them. The law could never make them right. The law is kind of like a body scan. Have you ever gone into one of those body scans where they put you in a tube and they take you in and they scan to see what's going on on the inside? Well, the law kind of shows us what's going on on the inside. And it was actually given to the nation of Israel, but sometimes Gentiles put themselves under the law. 
But whether we're under the law or it was only for Israel, the law was never intended to help us. It, like the body scan, is to show us what's going on on the inside. Now, if we were to go in and get a body scan, an MRI, and we were to discover that there was something going on on the inside that that scan revealed, we would never just lay in that cylinder and think that that could help us in any way. No, the scan was simply there to show us what was going on. And now we get out of the cylinder and then we go to the doctor and we get a plan to heal. We don't stay in the cylinder. The cylinder and the radiation and the scan, well, they did their job, but they couldn't help us with the problem. They could only reveal what the problem is. And that's what the law does. It shows unrighteousness, but the law can't help a person become righteous, only show them how unrighteous they are. And in Romans 3.20, Paul says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's Romans 3.20. Paul says that the law lays out clearly what sin is. Gentiles were not given the law, but it doesn't take a genius to know that even if we were, we couldn't keep it either. What's really sad is sometimes we come out of the bondage of sin and we experience this freedom and it's wonderful. And then we begin to hear these things that put us back into bondage. We start hearing things that we need to do and things that we need to perform and ways that we need to behave and certain times we need to be in church and all these responsibilities, and sometimes, again, it can put us back into bondage. What are we hearing? What are we sharing? And what are we believing? Are we understanding the love of God and how we are one with Him and His Son through His Spirit living in us? Or is it about what we must do for God? Well, this podcast is about the grace of God that has come in the person of Jesus. It's about sharing the freedom that we have in Him and not deceiving ourselves and others that we need to keep the law and that it makes us pleasing to God when we do, it actually does the opposite. Why? Because it's faith that pleases God. The law was never given to help anybody. It was to show the Jews their unrighteousness and turn to a holy and righteous God. But instead, it became about keeping rules. And in Galatians, Paul says that every person is cursed if they do not abide by all things written in the law. There are Gentiles that were never given the law, thinking that they're finding spirituality and obeying the law. They're putting themselves under a law that was never given to them. And so the question is, is what part of the law is for them? Are they keeping the Sabbath rules? It's ridiculous to think that we can go into the Old Testament, pick out a few laws that we want to keep, make ourselves feel good about being spiritual when Paul says that it's all or nothing. And many Christians today, even as Gentiles, want to put themselves under the law. And the question is why? It's like sitting in a prison cell, the door is unlocked, and yet we choose to stay in bondage. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's say that we are given the law as Gentiles. Many Christians believe that we are. And even though there's scriptures that say that we are not, like Romans 2, 14, let's say, let's just suppose that we are. Does that mean that the law is alive and for us today? Why am I saying this? Because one of the biggest obstacles to people believe in the covenant of grace is because they argue that the law is good for today and that we should keep the Ten Commandments 
in the courthouses and in the schools, and we should keep them before us and talk about them and preach them. That's a super common thought and a super common belief and probably believed by most Sunday church attenders. The law of Moses is being put on people and it's heavy. So let's look at that. In Galatians 2.19, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Galatians 3.12 and 13, However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's Galatians 3, 12 and 13. So here Paul says the law is a curse. Why? We can't keep it. The law condemns and shows us again when we fall short, whether we think we are under the law or not. That is the job of Mr. Law to show us when we get out of line. And I don't hate the law. The law is good, but I want to understand the law in its context. And if I'm going to consider having it a place in my life, I need to understand it in the way God intends for me to understand it. Does it have a place in my life? Yeah, it does. It's good. And understanding the law helps me understand God because he gave the law to Israel and it shows me how he related to man before the cross. It's not a bar for me to reach. The law is not bad. Paul says the law is holy and righteous and good, but it's not where we live and it's not what we try to achieve. Living a morally good life is not what Jesus came to do for us. To be infused, to be led and empowered and connected with him, that's what he desires. So much more than good behavior and obeying the law. I lived 20 years of my Christian walk commingling the law and grace in my life. It's kind of hard to explain because, like I said in the last episode, we get to be ourselves 100%, all of Jesus and all of me, when it comes to who he made me to be. And yet at the same time, it's all of Jesus and none of me. And I guess you'd have to have the Holy Spirit to understand that because it really doesn't even make sense to the natural mind. But the Bible says that, you know what, spiritual things don't make sense to the natural man. So how do we know? Where do we find freedom? Freedom and power to walk in unity with the Holy Spirit. It's in being led by his spirit, not by obedience to the law. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. And it's going to wrap it up for me today. And I hope you heard something that will set you free from a relationship with God based on how much you're doing for him and on how well you're doing at obeying the law. Our righteousness comes from Christ alone, and he is so pleased with us. His love is perfect, and leading us and helping us on life's journey, well, it's what he wants to do for us. He loves us. And I hope you join me next week when we talk about God's will. How can we know God's will for our lives, and how do we know if we're in it? These questions and more on next week's Grace at Last podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Grace at Last podcast. We hope you learned a truth that will set you free and keep you living in the It Is Finished promise Jesus declared at the cross. Go to lastministry.org to learn more about who we are and what we're all about as we share this incredible inheritance God has given us in His Son.